Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod, episode 6, bloody hell, lovely stuff, flying through the weeks, isn't we, eh? Flying through the weeks and flying back through time, back to the 80s this week, as we take a look at a Sylvester McCoy story from 1989. And joining me as always to check out that Sylvester McCoy story for the first time ever, I believe, is Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you doing, sir? Doing very well, mate. You'd be right. This is the first, uh, my first time viewing this episode of Sylvester McCoy's, and it was brought out the year I was born. Doesn't that just make wow. you feel old? It does, because I can, not necessarily this story, but I can remember watching Sylvester McCoy on television as the Doctor. So, yeah, it does make me feel old, yeah. <laughs> I just... I just thought I'd get that out of the way early. Just you know, yeah. St- yeah. make you feel as shit as possible to start off with, and then we can work up. Yeah, brilliant <laughs> stuff, mate. Uh, uh, only uphill now. Only uphill now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, as always, to the fantastic Borna Matosic for the use of his cover of the Doctor Who theme that we use as the theme to our podcast. Check out Borna's work on Twitter, YouTube, bornamatosic.com online, all sorts of stuff there. Brilliant, brilliant work, as always. Thank you, Borna. We'll crack straight on, I suppose, Dan, my friend. Yeah, let's get into it, because I've got... Mixed feelings. <laughs> ah, see, I'll tell you what, I was about to say, what what's your overall overall feeling, overall uh, response to watching this this three-parter from 1989? And you saying that kind of covers what I feel as well, I think. Yeah, with it being, obviously with it being my first view and I've got limited knowledge of Sylvester McCoy, obviously he is in the movie, which, so I've got about maybe 20 minutes of McCoy Doctor. <laughs> In my uh, in my memory <laughs> bank, um, does he last that long in the movie? Does he? Uh, I think so. From memory, give or take, I can't really fully remember. Okay, um, might be less to be fair. <laughs> right, um, but yeah, it was a weird one because it's Doctor Who, so I'm automatically going to like it on some level. Mm-hmm. There was nothing really wrong with Sylvester McCoy's Doctor per se, but there wasn't a vast amount that grabbed me. I did right. love it. I, I do love his sarcasm in, in this in this serial. I don't know if that's a yeah. running uh, a running theme, but how sarcastic he is was fantastic. I uh, I resemble that rem- that remark. Um, <laughs> and uh, Ace as well. It was it was fun because I, I came out of it being sort of amb- a bit ambivalent towards Sylvester McCoy's Doctor, but quite endeared towards Ace. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was a. It was a it was a weird way around to do it, and then obviously Anthony, Anthony Ainley is the master, who's absolutely fantastic, and even in the clips I've seen of the older Doctor Who's and, and seeing him play that role, it's he's just marvellous. So I knew he, so there was always going to be a good villain, but then it's the setting they're in, it's all a bit cheesy and a bit yes, and a bit on some level a bit crap. That doesn't necessarily mean it's bad in my eyes. I quite, no. I, I, I like, I like B horror, you know, I like B horror movies. So this, in yeah. theory, should have been right up my alley. But I don't know. It was just it, it, it was good. You know, it was it, it was above average, I'd say. But it was by no means one of the better things I've ever watched. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, as I said at the start, for me. I got fond memories of this time because it's it's the doctor that I watched when I was a kid. I mean, in, in 89, I was nine, yeah, nine, nine, 10 years old. So in 89, I was, I was loving 
Doctor Who. It's fantastic. Ace was one of my favourite companions of all time. Again, because it's from this this time frame. And, and now I watch Classic Who back, and I look at some new companions in, in New Who. She probably isn't. If you were to rank it, she probably isn't up in everyone else's sort of top five, top ten, or whatever it may well be. But for me, I've got that sort of personal attachment there because she was the companion when I started watching Doctor Who first time round. And yeah. the same was for Weston McCoy. He he doesn't really rank high on a lot of people's best Doctors ever list, I suppose, or, or when you're ranking the Doctors in order of preference. But I've got a soft spot for him, even though, again, like, like you said, Dan, I know it's a bit crap. I know, <laughs> I know, I know it's not as great as it potentially can be, but I've got that, I suppose, nostalgic attachment. I've got that kind of personal attachment to this time because it was the Doctor that I watched as a kid, I guess. It gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling that you had when you mm. were nine years old and didn't have a care in the world before life and bills and looking about and <laughs> all yeah. of that came in, came into it. So yeah, I fully get where you come. I fully get where you're coming from with that. Um, I think with Ace as well, just to go a little sort of deeper into it, you're discovering this one, and I'm assuming you, it's known before that that she's a bit, a bit of a runaway or a tear away. She doesn't really. Mm. She's a bit of a, a misfit who doesn't really fit in in her in her hometown. Um, and I've mentioned this a little on other podcasts. I was bu- I was bullied as a kid, so I never really felt like I belonged anywhere. You know, when I was when I was very young. So that it sort of that in that aspect, it certainly struck a chord with me because I remember sort of feeling that way being younger. So okay, that, there's definitely that aspect to Ace as well. Yeah, I mean, I suppose Ace herself, it, especially in the last season, which this is obviously part of, you get much more character development with Ace, and certain stories are literally built around Ace and around her past. Mm. That. You get you get so much more with Ace than you do with the Doctor himself, I guess. It becomes more... I wouldn't say the show becomes more about Ace as in she's the main character, because of course not, it, the Doctor is, but she becomes a very focal point of, of certain stories and so on. Uh, with regards to this story then, um, today we're looking at Survival from November 1989, the last, last story, last serial of the original run, the classic Who run before it was uh, cancelled for a couple of production issues, but mainly because of a drop in a massive drop in ratings in comparison to its heyday back in the, back in the seventies, I guess. Uh, some of the settings in this, in this series, Dan, some of the settings in this story, I mean, we get the standard quarry, don't we, which we'll get to in a bit. The alien quarry. Yeah. <laughs> they're filming down a quarry again, by the looks of it. But whenever they're on earth, they're, they're effectively just, walking down the road aren't they <laughs> and that's yeah. tickled me <laughs> well it did me as well but they kind of they explain it away because the the tardis is uh they've, they've gone back to perryville essentially mm. which is obviously where ace is from because she you knows she's maybe a little bit nostalgic for her old gang of mates and all the rest of it um even though she does call it what was it the the epicenter of boredom or something like that yeah yeah um <laughs> it's probably just walking down the road or they're walking into a youth center or knocking about outside a pub or in a, in a little shop and mm. or just in a field on a hill somewhere, you know? <laughs> but I mean, this is, um, in this last season, especially you kind of notice that with quite a few stories with, with Sylvester McCoy and you, you can see the money isn't there anymore to do 
the stage sets to do the i suppose landing on a spaceship somewhere kind of set and and so on mm. because a lot of the stuff is filmed just in a field in a quarry on a road somewhere they do have studio space of course but a lot of the later series are just films that way i mean i think it's silver nemesis the whole thing just takes place effectively on a common where they're, <laughs> where they're like in a field and, and the cybermen are trenching around and, and, and all this sort of stuff so it's you know i suppose it's a case of needs must as well but there's we'll get to it as we go through the episodes but there's certain scenes that really do tickle me because they're they're brilliant parts of storytelling or you get some brilliant performances again from the masters in particular and they just they're just stood on some bloke's driveway or something you know it's, it's like <laughs> it, it, it does it does make me laugh it's a um i've said it before on here and, and it's a, a staple over on over on utt my other podcast where we just have to say that they did the best they could for the money yeah and if money's yeah, running definitely. out at this point it makes a hell of a lot of sense but also i've written at least down for part of it i've written some of the costuming is actually for the time and certainly for the budget is pretty damn good are you referring to the cheetah people you can see where the limited budget went mm, yeah yeah i mean on that topic then we'll, we'll cover them we'll cover them now i suppose that's i, I guess uh, the main part of this story the, the general gist of this tale is that the master is using a, a, a stray cat to <laughs> spy on humans and then and then a, a cheetah person imagine Imagine John Bishop's dog companion from New Who, just yep. done in the just done like a cat and a little bit crapper, and that's what you get with these these people. Then they turn <laughs> up on a horse and basically swipe whoever this these humans are and take them back to their own time to hunt and have for food. Now these cheetah people, they they I suppose again. You, it could have looked a lot worse, couldn't it? We've seen some villains in Doctor Who, or we will see some more villains in Doctor Who, especially classic Who, that look sodding awful. But at the but same no. time, I don't... Was it well, necessary to have them dressed up like fluffy little kittens at times? And stuff? Do you know? <laughs> I don't think it was entirely necessary for them to, to have them look like demons haunted Build-A-Bear. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> and the demon headmaster using the, using the cats to to spy on people. That was some demon headmaster shit. Mm. That was, if you ever watch that program with the eyes going funny and yeah. using them to spy through, that was, but even then, even then with that, as daft as it is, Anthony Amy manages to look menacing. Yeah. He's brilliant. Yeah. So it just proves that you can put him in the most ridiculous shit with teleporting cats called kitlings and, <laughs> <laughs> and, just huge cheetah people that even though they're part cheetah and therefore should be able to run very fast, still insist on riding horses. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Actually. I didn't even think of that. That is odd. And they do keep talking about running, uh, like running for the rest of their life, feeling like they can run forever. And it's like, well, you don't, you just jump on a horse. Maybe they just didn't feel like running forever. Mm, at that particular moment. But yeah, it was, it, again, it's just, it's one of those things that's a little bit crap. But at least yeah. they tried. At least they tried to explain how the cheetah people sort of sort of came to be, even if a lot some of it's a bit vague. And this is one of the bits that annoyed me, where they, they give this whole explanation about what the kitlings are, saying that they're genetically engineered, and the you know they can teleport and, and they're used to scout for prey and stuff like that. So they have a purpose and an origin. 
but then the cheetah people just explained the way of explained the ways. This planet's a bit weird. They tried to <laughs> they tried to live here. Everybody who comes here gets kittified. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> but, it. For, and, for, and for some reason, because they needed some sort of peril in there, fighting amongst the inhabitants kills the planet. So this planet turns people or turns people into animals that will fight each other and contribute to its own destruction. Yeah, that part is a little bit of a you know, contradiction, isn't it? That part doesn't make much sense. It, it, I, I wouldn't like to presume that somebody didn't think it through. Um, but it, yeah. it certainly <laughs> seems that way. I'll tell you what we haven't talked about. We, know, we normally start with the intro. Ah, yes. Okay. Well, before we get to that, the reason I wanted to talk about the, the, the cheetah oh, people, I suppose, is because I, I read a quote from the person who actually wrote the episode. And when they wrote the episode, they had devised them. You know how the Master and Midge, who's a character that we'll get to shortly, when they start turning and they have the contact lenses in, the eyes look bad, and they have the teeth and so on. Mm. That's more what the writer envisioned, envisioned apparently, when, when they were writing the script. Okay. And then when and they had all these extras and all these these actors turning up to play these roles and they apparently they were doing again these these are the writers words not mine they were doing some fantastic facials they were they were looking really scary and edgy and so on and then on the day of shooting they just dropped these bloody great sodden costumes off and so they are chuck these on and it completely took away from that aspect of what they were trying to get at so I suppose that does explain a little bit yeah, that's outside interference. The BBC have looked at mm. it and thought, mm, bit scary for prime time Saturday telly whenever it you know whenever it used to air. Mm. Because later on, like I say, credit to the to its uh, credit where it's due for the good bits. Um, the master and Midge um, later on in the final episode, they look frightening. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, definitely. But as you mentioned, Dan, the intro, the music, the logo. What were your thoughts? Uh, my initial thought was, is my telly broken? I can't hear anything. Wait, the volume's on full blast. Why have I just shit my pants? As it, um, <laughs> as it kicked in, because it just went, I think it was buffering or something um, as I was trying to watch it on Prime, and then just boom, straight in. Yeah. And the TV was up a little bit louder than uh, than I normally have it, so it scared the living daylights out of me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for a kickoff, I quite liked the take on the music, um, mm-hmm. which is... It sounds redundant to say, but it was very typical late 80s, early 90s sci-fi music. As yeah, you, and lots of synth and all that yeah, sort that's of stuff. It. Yeah, yeah, a bit of synth and whatnot. Um, I liked the I liked the effort put into the, the sort of galaxy swirls and the fact that they still had the Doctor's face there. That was, mm-hmm. again, taking it in context, it was good for the time. Um, but my God, the lettering and the fonts and the different colours on, on the actual Doctor Who wording. It was fucking awful. You reckon? I hated that. I can't deal with it when it's clashing fonts like that. Right. Okay. The different colours. It's just it. It just looks wrong. In my brain, just my brain looks at it and just goes, "Nope." Uh, no, I understand. Okay. I mean, I I can see where you're coming from. A lot of people, I, I suppose, online and and when you sort of read articles and fans that write and so on talk about this sort of 80s music um well i say it's, it's 89 it's, it's virtually 1990 at this stage but you know what i mean and the the doctor who logo the, the the sort of yellow squiggly font above the big bold letters for the word who and that and people say it, it's rubbish they don't like it and and probably agree with yourself dan to be honest mm. but for me 
I I love it because it's it's my childhood again. It's it's just something of oh look at that. I remember that. And there was a I remember there used to be a library down the road from my mum's, and we used to go to the library, rent books and so on. There Doctor Who storybooks in there, uh, as well as a big hardback book that said twenty fifth anniversary, so on. And it was a big, real posh, big thick hardback book. And it would um, have all the different pictures of the stuff going back to the 60s. And I love that. I used to rent that book out probably once a month. I'd get it all the time. And that had the big Doctor Who logo similar to this show on the front of that book. So it brings back lots of memories like that to me, really. The power of nostalgia is wonderful. Yeah, sure there's stuff out there. I mean, we're both we've said it multiple times. We're both wrestling fans, and we look back on the Attitude Era with a certain amount of fondness. That mm. doesn't make the bulk of it good. You know. <laughs> So, <laughs> I can completely understand. I'm sorry to shit on your childhood, mate, but um, oh no, it's fine. Even, it's fine because I'm going to shit on it even, myself in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, not uh, not probably one of the better musics, but certainly not one of the better logos. Right. <laughs> we start episode one with a fella washing his car, and the reason I want to sort of point this out particularly is because we end up with a bit of a running theme going through the rest of the episode here. There's a fella washing his car and a, a black cat, effectively a stray cat is watching him. And then the stray cat is a kind of puppet kind of model that sits it, there and snarls. It's eyes glow and it's teeth go all big and so on. Did you ever watch Sabrina, the teenage witch? The yes. TV series on That's what the vibes I got. Yep. Imagine someone had put Salem into an attic for a while mm. and then found him when he was a bit a bit mouldy. Some of his yeah. fur started falling out. <laughs> but this it, is the issue, isn't it? You, you know, he, he looked a bit manky, didn't he? He looked a bit grotty. He looked a bit, you know, like a, like a bit of a rotten stray or whatever. Yeah. When the, the, the puppet or the, the model or whatever is used for when the cat is not moving and it has to snarl and look for the camera and so on. When the cat is moving that the master is looking through, so to speak, it's just an ordinary cat. Now the ordinary cat they use, that cat's fur is lovely and shiny and clean. And, and it just doesn't look like the same thing. It's not even close. It doesn't, it's just, it's supposed to be the same thing, but it's not even close. It is quite jarring, but again, they did the best they could for the money. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. But anyway, this scary cat sort of is watching this man wash his car, and then we get a view from above as something comes and basically collects the guy, I suppose, and and zaps him away somewhere. But we don't actually see at this stage what this is. But something that I notice here that is, I suppose, a reoccurring theme whenever these these humans get picked up or zapped away or whatever. They're all really, really crap at running away, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, there's no actual just turn and peg it in the opposite direction. No. It's always, I'm going to walk backwards, fall on my ass, try walking backwards again. And Yeah. It, it's kind of, it's a really weird response because people going about fight or flight for something horrific or when you're threatened. Evidently, these people don't have fight or flight. They have stand and go up. Or stumble and fall, or what? <laughs> <laughs> or just gen- just generally be absolutely useless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and then we get like a, a, a timing coincidence here, I suppose. It, you know, it has to be done for the purpose of television. I get that, but the guy gets zapped away. The black cat runs off screen, 
and then the TARDIS materializes in exactly that spot at that time just as the cat it almost lands on the cat as it's running away doesn't it but it's just on someone's driveway the TARDIS has just popped up in the front of someone's house next yeah. to their I don't, I don't know what that was next to their Saab 900 or whatever it was there on their drive and it's like is no one going to mention that I mean my, if that was if that was me it, well if that was going back to 1989 and the TARDIS just appeared on the driveway like that my old man would have been straight out the front door said oi come on mate you can't leave that there you know but no, nobody bats an eyelid this police box has just appeared to add a bit of modern day logic, uh, sorry, modern day Doctor Who canon to classic Who, um, the TARDIS has a perception filter around it. So although it's there, you won't necessarily notice it or register it until you tr- until that person tries to drive his car into the driveway and yeah. crashes into a blue box that is somehow immovable. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I wanted to bring up, just as the TARDIS is materialising and Ace and the Doctor are getting out, I do love the doctor's uh, sweater vest with the question marks. Okay. So I I'm quite like on that. Because it, and it's partly because it's filled in a gap that I always sort of suspected, but never went out of my way to research. Um, in later seasons, there's uh, and from the 50th anniversary onwards, there's a character called Osgood. Um, she's a scientist and she crops up in, I think the Capaldi era wearing a, um, wearing basically the same vest. Okay, yeah, I remember this. But she either had, but she either has like a long scarf like Baker or the the vest like McCoy or mm. few, you know, a few other bits and pieces. So yeah, that it filled it yeah. filled that gap for, for me. But I quite like it. The Doctor's always got to have some quirks. So he's got the vest with the question marks. He's got the hat. He's got the brolly. Yeah, I get the hat and the brolly. Even though the brolly, the handle of the brolly is done to be a question mark as well, isn't it? If yeah, you look, it's got the hand. Yeah, the, yeah. But the whole Doctor Who thing. The, 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 it's always you know, the joke. His name is not actually Doctor Who. It's the Doctor, isn't it? And so on. Mm. To have it put in your face that much, the question marks all over his is 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 knitted jumper vest effort. That to me was a bit on the nose. I, I, even as a kid, I wasn't fond of that. It is a bit, but it could. It, this could play into his play into something here because one of the things I, lo- I love his sarcasm, but he doesn't have a vast amount of personality in this episode. Mm. Doesn't McCoy. Uh, he, he shows some good bravery and whatnot towards the end, but throughout most of it, he's, he's the doctor and he's the smartest person in any given room and all the rest of it. But he's just sort of there for a lot of it. He doesn't do anything sort of outstandingly wonderful or technologically marvellous or anything like that. Yeah. So yeah. I'm assuming that this version of the doctor has taken on all these sort of little quirks to try and replace the lack of personality. <laughs> well, potentially. <laughs> oh, poor Sylvester. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, that was, that was overly harsh. Cause I say it wasn't, but he wasn't a bad doctor from what I've seen. No. He's not a bad doctor. No, I, I, again, I, I'm, I'm biased. I watch back some Western McCoy episodes and I always finish watching them thinking I enjoyed that but I probably enjoyed it because it reminds me of being a kid as opposed to enjoyed it because it was actually that good. Yeah, I understand that. You know? Um, We come across Sergeant Patterson then, who becomes quite a prominent character in the next couple of episodes, teaching a self-defence class. And he's just a burly ex-military guy ranting and shouting at these young kids as he's teaching them to wrestle of some sort. I don't think he is ex-military. Okay, you think he's he's on, on, on a black? Ace calls him uh, along the way. Ace calls him some sort of something along the lines of 
uh, TA Tosspot. Ah, so okay. It's a territorial army, not full blown army. So I think he's some knob who's been, and he mentions it, he mentions it later in the episodes, who's been on a few training weekends and a few courses and now thinks he's military. Yeah, I get you. Right, I get you. <laughs> but it's always, it's, it's always a sign of a prick. As somebody who's worked in some sort of service industry my whole working life, it's always a sign of a prick when someone insists on using a military title in civilian life. Yeah. I don't even <laughs> Quite pretentious, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They, I do get a giggle out of this, though, because the first proper interaction between Sergeant Patterson and the Doctor, the Doctor, <laughs> Patterson actually turns to him, the Doctor and says, Doctor... Well, you're not in the best of shape, are you? And pats him on the belly, and that tickled me. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just a dick. They, they did a really yeah. good job with Patson of just making him an unlikable twat. Mm. And, but he's yeah. there. He's, he's called. You know, he's, he's saying that to the doctor. He's calling the kids. He's teaching wasters. Um, saying, "Oh, I'd never be that age again." He's just, and he's just constantly thinking he knows better. Yeah, whilst constantly seeming to just moan about everything. Yeah. Yeah, so like, well, you've done it wrong. You've done it wrong. You should have done it less. You yeah. should have done it less. Yeah, yeah exactly. Then, yeah. But then, within five minutes of, of him being in charge of something, to one of his uh, one of his charges is trying to kill the other one. Mm. It just goes yeah. completely to shit. <laughs> the doctor, it, it, the doctor's noticing some issues, isn't he? He's noticing the, the odd behaviour of some of the cats. He's also mm. hearing little stories or conversations from other people about the disappearance of certain people like for example ace's friends she, she's gone back to paravel to catch up with old friends a lot of them are no longer around they're vanishing and so on so the doctor decides okay we're gonna we're gonna get catch one of these cats and have a look at it so to do that he he goes and buys some cat food from what hail and it? paste <laughs> he buys it off hail and paste in the shop that tickled me because I saw the first guy and I was like, I recognise him. Where do I know him from? And the second guy walked up and I was like, oh my God, it's Helen Pace. Why? Oh, uh, that's what that was. Yeah. I don't know Helen Pace. Ah, okay. Well, they were uh, they were a comedy duo I've heard, I've, in, I've heard of in this time, like, so yeah. The old, your name's not okay. Dane, you're not coming in. They used to play the the bouncers on the door sort of characters and stuff. They, they, they were funny. I enjoyed them when I was younger anyway. But yeah, oh, Helen Pace randomly turned out running a corner shop and... and the doctor effectively just walks out with tons of tins of dog food, doesn't he? Or cat food, sorry. <laughs> Without paying for it. Because yeah. to make a point, one of them comes out and says, oh, are, are you forgetting something? Looks, yeah, I am, but I can't think what it is. So you've not paid for them. No, it's not that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> it's, uh, but they tell that they tell that old joke about um, two blokes in a tent in the jungle. Mm. It's dark and they hear a roaring noise. One bloke turns to the other and says, did you hear that? That was a lie. The other bloke starts putting on his running shoes. Like, what are you doing? You can't run a line. I'd have to outrun a line. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's then, right. <laughs> it's, but another one is that there's a lot of survival of the fittest talks. You've got the sergeant talking about it, and then Hale and Pace are talking about it in the pub, and mm. and all the rest of it. And it. It's like you said about the doctor's sort of sweater vest. It, it's a bit on the nose. Yeah, it's a bit too noticeable because it, it it's that's. Not necessarily a conversation anybody would ever have, let alone people in the same village within five minutes of each other. Yeah. I, I actually when that happened and you had these different people making that point, I then thought everyone was going to be talking like that for the rest of the episode, making that same point, and it was going to be a thing. But it wasn't. Mm. It was just it was just they were trying to obviously slip that into the conversation and just use the subtlety of a sledgehammer to do it. Yeah. It was 
it was not the best written thing in the world. No, it was not. It was not. Something that was quite quite clever, though, quite worried, and that made me laugh, is when they speak to, I believe it was one of Ace's friends, and they yeah. said that they said to Ace, well, we thought you were dead or in Birmingham. I, I don't know why that made me laugh so much, but, it, <laughs> you know. It's about the same thing in a lot of circumstances. Well, potentially, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I've been to Aston on a night out. It's not pleasant. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've been on a night out, Ron? Well, to be fair, I've not been to Aston for about 13 years, but I went. I had the misfortune of going to see Aston Villa versus Hull when Hull oh, were in okay. the Premier League. My mate reckoned he could get half-price tickets. He couldn't, so we made him pay the difference. Right, brilliant. <laughs> For five of us. Villa, I saw Aston Villa play Everton, because a friend of mine was an Everton fan, and he was at university in Aston. So he mm. got us tickets to go and watch Aston Villa-Everton. And I was very excited, because this is when Everton had Paul Gascoigne and David Ginola playing for them. And I thought, this is going to be great. Um, Gaza played like 10 minutes. I'm not sure if Ginola played at all. And it ended nil-nil, and it rained all night, and it was shite. <laughs> David Jiddle played for Everton yeah for a short period yeah must have been a very short period I don't remember that I think it's when he or was he playing for Villa then because he played for Villa but I think he played for Everton as well uh, yeah, it was uh, one, yeah, 2002 yeah there we go yeah so oh, well, yeah, 20 years ago uh, anyway join us next week on the early 2000s football pod it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, not like me to get sidetracked is it <laughs> no 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 it's uh, we get the um, the doctor is trying to catch the the cat with the cat food that he's spewing out onto the middle of the pavement. You know, re- really helpful to everyone walking by, of course. And different cats are coming up to have a little bit of grab. And the doctor is hiding in somebody's front garden behind a hedge, yep. shouting at these cats that aren't the cat he wants to go away. I've got it, cats. That's not how it works. <laughs> it's also really, really scientific. Yeah, um, you know the way he's doing that. Really scientific. It's not like he's. Although to be fair, modern day they'd probably they'd maybe put the cat food out in a dish or something, but then they'd be using the sonic to scan it, or using mm. and then using it to scare the cat away, or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it did make they had a thing early in this in this this one part of the serial about like old women at windows because you had the old woman at the start yelling at the cats to shoo when they were fighting oh, yeah. in the garden. And then you had the old lady yelling at the doctor to bugger off. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Perhaps there's just a real narky area. Loads, loads of old ladies just like screaming and shouting at people. Well, it can get that in like village or suburb life. It, it can do. Yeah, well, there we go. We basically end up with, oh, I suppose coming towards the end of the episode, of, of the first episode there. Ace ends up getting viewed by this cat who then summons the cheetah on the horse. It's <laughs> crazy as though this sound. You put it into, oh my goodness, you put it into words, it sounds it's, even worse than it was. It sounds silly when you say it like that in this episode about the town travelling early with two hearts and a box that's bigger on the inside. Yeah, it does sound a bit daft. But the uh, Ace then does the sort of theme we have in this of being just absolutely terrible at running away. She jumps on a roundabout for some reason. She tries to go through the swings. And, she goes down and, the slide. <laughs> oh, it's just like, just run. You know, if you're going to run, run. You go know, on. you're not going like, to run the horse, granted. You're not going. But she has a bloody good go. And then eventually she gets inside a climbing frame, which means then that obviously the horse and the cheetah can't access her because she's inside a climbing frame. The one smart thing she did at that yes. point. And then she got out from under the climbing frame. For <laughs> for no reason other than the plot needed her to be out of the climbing frame to get zapped. And she's shouting for the doctor. 
and the doctor is, is running towards her because he must obviously know something's going wrong. She, she's yelling for him and so on. And then, like you said, she, she gets out from the climbing frame and gets you know, pied or zapped or whatever into this other dimension. But basically, she, she disappears from the playground and goes to the quarry is effectively what we're saying. Mm. And the quarry is, again, done up like an alien planet. But it looked quite cool because you had pink lighting in, in the sky. You had these yeah. planets these and smoke and stuff. that like it was coming from potentially, I thought it was volcanoes or fires or whatever. Mm. Um, I thought it looked very simplistic, don't get me wrong. But I thought compared to other things that we've seen in this episode, the alien planet looked great. For the for the time it was and the budget they had, it looked fantastic. Yeah, the backdrops in this were one of the high points, um, and then later on we'll come to it the um, the effects they managed to put over the top of the water as well. Mm, yeah, like, like yeah. very almost very early like CGI or mm. you know or, or maybe even just really well done green screen. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know how they do that. No, it did look good, didn't it? But again, just everything pink and the smoke and so on. I, I thought it was, I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, well, it, it, it was distinct difference from Earth, basically, because before in the Tomb of the Cybermen, we could tell they were just walking around in a quarry. Obviously, black and white. The, the car did much with the lighting, mm. you know. So, uh, but then I think <laughs> there must have been a quarry in the uh, the Tom Baker episode as well. But it didn't look half as good. But obviously, this is a lot later on. So, yeah, it's, they did a good job with that. Again, credit where it's due. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of, I suppose, that, that illusion of seeing the alien planet like that for the first time is kind of maybe the bubbles burst a touch by the Doctor, who then arrives at the, on the field at the playground where Ace disappeared from mm. and instantly comes to the conclusion, oh, so they take you away to an alien planet then? And it's like, oh, well, well figured out, like just by looking at this climbing frame and, you know, things like that bother me because he's come to that conclusion, which is correct. Obviously, we, we know that's the right conclusion, but he's come to that conclusion without any real explanation, any real evidence in front of him of that. He's just heard Ace calling him, ran over and Sinner just disappear. And he instantly just assumes, OK, we're going to an alien planet then. Do you not think it's maybe because he's already clocked that there's something weird happening with the cats and there's been talk of people just dis up and disappearing? Potentially, I suppose. But how with all the options, and again, this is this is just us rambling, I guess. But the options you've got there, they could be getting killed. They could be getting erased from history. They could be anything. Anything. It's, it's Doctor Who. Anything could be happening. But he instantly just deduces that they're being sent to, oh, they, they take you back to their alien planet. It just seemed, again, a little bit, I suppose the corner phrase that we've both used already, Dan, to me it felt a little bit on the nose. It felt a little bit like we didn't get to that conclusion with any real logic. It was just done. It's almost like we missed a step out, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, all it would require is one piece of like eyewitness evidence or an eyewitness account or mm. somebody, you know, another character saw something from a window or... Yeah. There was a flash of bright light, you know, saw a flash, they heard somebody scream, saw a flash of bright light, and then nothing. Mm. Or, you know, heard hooves from the fucking horse in the middle of the day down the main road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you are right. It's, it is a little bit, sort of, I suppose the word's lacking. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like we go from A to C and there's not 
there's not B in the middle to explain hi. It's it, it's there's a phrase where it's a lot of like video game movie adaptations and, and again B horror movies where things happen and, and people make these leaps of logic because the plot needs them to. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. The uh, the, the aforementioned Sergeant Patterson is chasing the Doctor at this stage because he sees him as a menace and he's operating with neighbourhood watch, isn't he, he says. Of course that pricks in the neighbourhood watch. Yes. I mean, to be fair, I'd be miffed if somebody stuck a load of cat food down in the middle of my street, but, you know, is what it is, isn't it? <laughs> Get over yourself, Sergeant Patterson, you know? It's one yeah. neck in a bit, mate. <laughs> um, the Doctor gets collared by Sergeant Patterson and then he, he kind of escapes him or disables him just by literally poking him in the forehead. Yeah, this is... this is I quite like this as a callback because during the self-defence class, Sergeant, or just after it, Patterson's bollocking on about under his tutelage, one finger can become a deadly weapon. Yeah. And he's really bigging himself up so the Doctor just literally just uses some Time Lord technique, bops him on the forehead... Patterson goes down and the doctor just walks off saying one finger can be a deadly weapon. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but it's, that, it's, that, it's that sarcasm though, because he didn't yeah. need to say that. He didn't need to do that. But he just thought, do you know what? Fuck this guy in particular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually the the cat leads the cheetah people uh, and the cheetah on the horse to the doctor and the sergeant and they get zapped over to the alien planet as well. And we get the reveal of the master at the end of the episode, don't we? Yeah, and we also get, um, with Ace being on the planet as well, uh, Ace is also found by one of her friends, by Shreela. Oh, yes. Uh, and, and Midge is there as well, and uh, another fella uh, called Derek that's uh, that's been there for about three weeks, and he's somehow only got flesh wounds, um, and, and sort of bigging up the, the hunting. And This is the drop of comment here that I thought, oh, wow, this could lead to something quite creepy looking. So we have to move on, because they you know, find somewhere safer because they can see in the dark, but you yeah. can't see them, just their eyes. So I'm thinking we're going to get the classic trope of like dark, almost pitch black scenery with just the glowing eyes in the middle. Mm. Or, you know, somewhere in it, but we never got that, which I was a bit disappointed. Now, uh, maybe that comes back to the uh, the original writing again, because the, the writer did say that the, the eyes was going to be the biggest part of the transformation into the, these cheetah people. So perhaps that was kind of meant to be something, but it ended up not being because of the way they ended up, I suppose, altering, altering it on short notice, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, as, as you've made that point, actually, a lot about this episode suddenly starts to make a bit more sense because if they're getting that level of interference on the costume, what level of interference were they getting on a script level? What interference were they getting mm. on a direction level? It, it, with sort of potentially too many cooks spoiling the broth, it explains how so much of this ended up just a bit middle of the road. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get you. Sort of killed by um, committee sort of thing. The character Midge, he, he's just a prick, isn't he? Yeah, just a bit of a dick. Um, wants to be a hard man. Obviously doesn't like being told what to do by a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just a bit of an all-round wanker. Yeah, quite a miserable, glum git, quite negative. Yeah, not not the sort of person you want around you when you're in a crisis like this, I suppose. <laughs> not particularly, where it's just what's the point of moving on? We're all going to die anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the doctor, the doctor, and the sergeant are kind of in this, effectively like a campsite, I suppose, isn't it? Mm. Where the master is, and lots of the the, the, the cheetah people 
uh, there as well. And effectively, the sergeant ends up stumbling into a circle that ends up with the cheetah people kind of all going for him, to, to almost playing with their food before they eat it, potentially, I suppose. Yeah, a little bit like that. That, that was the start of the second episode, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Because the master's trying to get him to run, because he knows mm. if he gets the doctor and Patterson to run, then the cheetahs will hunt him. Yeah, and they'll cut him up and kill them. Yeah, but the doctor's wise to it, so he tells him to stay still, but because Patterson knows better, he had to move. Mm. And then then uh, the master gets his balls out and distracts him. <laughs> exactly. Uh, everyone gets distracted by the master's balls. No, I mean, especially, it's, when it's, the doctor, it's, especially when the doctor grabs him. Yeah, exactly, and juggles him. Yeah, four of them. <laughs> We're obviously referring to cat toys here and not uh, the master's actual balls <laughs> because that's a whole different episode of Doctor Who, that is. That's a whole different show. <laughs> that was on a different website. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, we, we also get the explanation then that the the cat in 1989, the black cat that sort of changes from stray to this monkey puppet thing, is a feline vulture, is described as. Um, and that's how it, it hunts its prey for the cheetah people. Feel <sighs> it's just, it, it's just a bit off again, isn't it? The whole way that they escape the master. I mean, first of all, the master's there trying to get them to run, which he knows will get the doctor and Patterson killed. Mm. But straight away, then we find out that the master is trapped on this planet and he needs the doctor because he wants to get a plan off him to escape. So why would he want the Doctor dead? That bit didn't make sense to me. And again, it's just part of this whole confused, contradictory tone, like in, in the whole sort of script or the way it's been, you know, the way it's been edited or the way the show's been cut together. So much of it makes sense in the moment but and makes mm. sense for the character, but not in the context of the wider context of what's going on. Yeah. It would make perfect sense that the master had set a trap for the doctor, the doctor to be ripped apart by cheetah people. It doesn't make sense for that for the master to set that up when he needs the doctor to get off the planet. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just a lack of it's just a lack of thought again, or a lack of cohesion. Um, one thing I did like in this though, where he's, he's where the uh, the cheetahs are sort of playing with Patterson before they eat him, is the master just says, "Come, doctor, why don't we just leave these creatures to their meal?" Yeah. <laughs> so sinister, but yeah, so it's almost like a throwaway comment, isn't it? It's almost just a, a, a passing comment, but it's so sinister. It's just brilliantly delivered. It's casually evil. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it, yeah, that's, that's a really good way of putting it. But then the doctor knows not to run, but he runs and grabs a horse. And somehow yeah. the cheetah people are quick enough to react to stop him or to rip him off the horse, despite the fact it takes a fair few seconds for Patterson to actually get on the horse. Yeah, everyone kind of stands around looking at them, don't they, for a second or two, and then they ride away. And bear in mind, these cheetah people are cheetahs. And cheetahs can, yeah, they can run, but they all just kind of stand there. And then they turn to the master, and the master's like, it's all right, I'll get you some more food. And they're all like, all right, and make sound, and they just go back for a sit down, don't they? Yeah. Well, they're essentially a fun-loving species. Well, apparently, that's what we keep getting told. <laughs> they don't... They don't not chirpy when they're ripping people apart i'll tell you that <laughs> yeah oh it's just and but again we have um we have ace and, and the other humans attempt to set a trap by yes. just having a bit of 
they got wire from somewhere. I don't know where, but they set it up in the middle of this path to, you know, catch a cheater as the as it rides by, you know, maybe just, you know, garrot it or something and knock it off the horse. Mm. But the they get a, clo- a close up of the uh, the really blunt claws that snip it. But then you have the Sarge on the back of the horse talking about how he normally keeps his head in a crisis. Ask anyone. He went on an SAS survival course and he was the only one to eat the worm stew. <laughs> and the doctor just sits there and dryly says, very impressive. Mm. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. The ace and her friends end up actually catching the doctor with their uh, with their trap in the end, don't they? That, I, I found that quite amusing, how <laughs> Sarge is freaking out. And the doctor's just casually there up in the air with his foot in a trap, just be like, gonna let me down. Yeah, just upside down holding his heart. And so, <laughs> that was quite cool. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a it was a moment of just complete calm for the doctor because he's like, Well, I'm in a situation. Biri. He's, uh, he's doing a lot better than the uh, than the milkman that just got abducted from nineteen eighty nine by the Kitley. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, that's uh he runs straight into a group of these cheats people and basically gets Ripped apart, I suppose. Yeah. Poor bugger. Poor milkman. We hardly knew yeah. he. <laughs> he weren't in it long, was he? <laughs> Ace and the Doctor sit down and, and have a little bit of a catch-up, and the Doctor mentions the Master. And this bit tickled me, because Ace then asks who the Master is, and the Doctor describes him as one of his oldest villain, the oldest nemesis. He's, he's just really evil and so on. And Ace just responds with the line, do you actually know any nice people? <laughs> which, not, which made me laugh yeah. not, not power she says do you know any normal people any nice people not power crazy nutters trying to take over yeah, the that's it. <laughs> and this, this really, answer, it? It, was, it was a great line from Ace I absolutely love that you're spot on but it's after the Doctor has again been wonderfully dismissive to the Sergeant uh, to Patterson because yeah. Patterson's giving it the bollocks saying he's, he'll get them through it he's a hunting animal he's got the nose for it and Doctor just turns around and says do shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah again that that is a little bit on the nose but the right way is getting it's just the doctor saying i've had enough now yeah you're a prick everybody yeah. knows you're a prick shut up you're not in charge here <laughs> exactly uh basically the, the the we get it's explained to us then that the planet's dying and the explosions are because of the the fighting that, that goes on on the planet and so on as, as you mentioned before dan the doctor decides that over there is where they can be safe. And that's literally all we get over there is where we're going to be. And the camera cuts across to an, Im- an image of a distant part of the planet, potentially, but over <laughs> there is where they need to get to. Yeah. But over there also appears to have a volcano. Yeah. That's what I thought. I'm, I'm, why do you want to go over there for? But why, does it, why does that make a difference over there? What, what, why is that better than where they are? The, the, the planet might not swallow them. This, this sentient planet that's causing it's, <laughs> Not, not to again, not to be too on the nose, but the planet's essentially committing suicide. Yeah, yeah. It's not a nice way to put it, but that is essentially what's happening. But the Doctor has done calculations, which, to be fair, if I did encounter the Doctor and the Doctor said to me, I've done some calculations, you'll be safer over there, I'm probably going to look at the Doctor and say, cheers, Doc, I'm going to go over there. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, it's just very vague, though, isn't it? Over there, and you get the screenshot of, of like what they're looking at. I suppose the horizon. And like you said, there's two volcanoes. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, if you say so. Um, 
Not not even three miles that way off. No. Two miles north. Yeah, just over there. (laughs) Vaguely Uh, in that general direction. That general direction, however, has to take them past a big group of the cheetah people. So they have to sneak past these, don't they? And and they do that by literally just having a little bit of a walk. Yeah, because now these <laughs> because now the cheetah people will only bother them when they're hungry, and these ones are all obviously feeding or have fed. Mm, they're well fed cheetah people. These ones they're, they're not interested in the doctor as long as there's no sudden movements. The, the doctor says. So. Yeah, well, you've seen uh, what you've seen. Yeah. You you'll have seen how cats can react when they get made to jump. Yeah. It's, yeah, all claw, it's all claws and teeth, isn't it? We end up, though, sneaking past doesn't quite work out. People get freaked out, and a big fight breaks out, doesn't it? And yeah, the doctor is standing there screaming, everyone stands still, where no one does. But who's the first one to move? Oh, your buddy Patterson. That. Nope, can't use that word. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in a ply. That tosspot Patterson is that yes. him and Midge, they're the first ones throwing stones giving it the Billy Big bollocks, come on, man. And then Sheila decides that she's going to run away because she, she's just frightened by the whole thing, which, you know, fight off like you can, I suppose you've got both reactions here, but surely you do what the obviously very smart man says and just stand still because they weren't actually being attacked until they started throwing the stones. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's just another... You can understand the characters being scared and reacting, but they're kind of reacting to nothing in particular at that moment, aren't they? The fear itself, what I get, but nothing, nothing actually starts that other than them, I guess. Yeah. I mean, De- Derek runs and he's immediately caught. Yeah. Oh, that was it. Derek runs. And then Trina goes to help Derek. But one thing I did love was that through all this, the doctor's calling for calm and for him just to stand still. Hmm. But it doesn't stop him tripping one of the cheetah people with his brolly. <laughs> yeah, as he's running by, just sweeping his legs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was quite I good. Love, I love that. We then, I suppose, a bit further on, get the the reveal again. I suppose that the master is turning into a cat himself. He's got yeah. the eyes and the teeth and so on. And I think that this, because obviously it happens to other characters as well in the last sort of episode and a half when you're on that planet for too long and you're around these people, uh, these cheetah people for too long, you start turning into one yourself, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And when they're, when they're sort of turning and the eyes go and they have the fangs, I think that is quite effective. That is quite creepy. It really is. Yeah. It's the eye, the contact lenses mm. are, are fabulous. The must, the, the look almost painful to wear, but um, the fangs as well. Anthony Ainley, his face is, and the way he plays the master is well suited to having fangs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it fits, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does, yeah. But it's particularly in Midge as well, look look absolutely terrifying, mm. to be quite honest. If I'd have watched that as a kid, it would have scared me to death. Yeah. I'd have been, I'd been checking everybody's faces as I was walking around. Yeah, looking Just at their like, eyes, like, show me your teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. It was, it was, uh, yeah it, it was really good, but... We get the, um, I think just again a little bit further on, uh, when the Doctor and the Master are, the the Master's confessing that he's trapped on the planet. Mm -hmm. And he gives a really good little speech, I think. I can't remember if it's directly to him or if it's just the Master on his own, 
saying that the Doctor will find a way out of it. He always does. And then he's saying, it's not just death we're facing. This place bewitches you. If we stay here, we'll be like the people who built these. Oh, it's when they're in the ruins. Yes. Uh, They thought they could control the planet, the wilderness. They were the ones that bred the Kiplings, creatures with with minds they could talk to, eyes they could see through like I do. It only led to their corruption. We shall become like them. We shall become animals. And uh, that's the very moment his yellow eyes and yeah and the teeth come in. Oh yeah, man, just delivered that by Anthony Hadley. Yeah, that was brilliant. It's one of the best bits in the entire thing, to be honest. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Very, very good stuff. He, he is he is the best thing in this this three parter, isn't he? The master. Let's be honest. He is the best thing. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's he's just just quality. Yeah, uh, Ace ends up having a conversation with a cat that is effectively dying a cheetah person that is effectively dying by the water side now after that little mini battle doesn't she and that yeah that's when we get the water effects that you were mentioning yes yes i can't remember how this how this cat person how the cheetah person got injured i don't know if it was a fall from the horse or i don't know one of them got hit in the head by ace didn't it with, with, a, with a rock or that was, yeah sorry yeah this is yeah this is the one ace, ace tried to bash a skull in hmm yeah, you know. and now they're mates. <laughs> yeah, well, concussion can do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the cheetah person, we find out that the cheetah person's name is Kara, and they're not very well. They're led down by the side of the water, and they actually start talking to Ace and says it wants water. Ace goes and fetches the funny pink water. And it's kind of helping bring the the cheetah person, I suppose, back to life or fix them or however you want to word it. But then Ace, we realise, is turning into one of them as well. She's got the funny eyes going on as well, hasn't she? Mm. Yeah, she has. There was um, there was a weird moment as well where the Doctor really clumsily alluded to the change in you know the change that people had suffered when he mm-hmm. calls them when he calls the cheetah people dangerously attractive. Which yeah, that was odd. <laughs> just like you sounded like you wanted to, just like you sounded, sounded like shag one. <laughs> hey, no, no, no judgment. That's just what it sounded hey, like. Each to their own, mate. Each to their own. Uh, Ace kind of speaks to the Doctor about this process, though, and says that she's just got this urge to run and run forever. And she mm. talks about how hungry she is and how she can smell this and, and hear this and so on. But one line that she comes out with, she said, I can smell things as clear as pictures. That what does that what does that mean? The uh, I guess what it means is that through scent and through smell, she forms an image in her head as clear as a picture. So she'll smell something and instantly know what it is, where it is. Right. Okay. It just comes across and like nonsense to me. Uh, well, it's because it is nonsense. But at least you can <laughs> if you if you. Think about it long enough, like I do, and have a bit of an overactive uh, way of rationalising this bullshit. <laughs> you can usually get there in the end. <laughs> yeah, the, the master effectively, or the doctor, has effectively figured out that these animals they go and hunt, and then they bring their food, their prey, or whatever, back home. Which is why they're going to hunt on Earth, and they're bringing the humans back. So to get back to Earth, you need an animal that lives there. So the master uses Midge for this. He he says, okay, let's go home and uses him to transport back to Earth. The doctor is 
at this point, you can already guess the Doctor is going to use Ace by now. Yeah. Well, this is Midge who's already killed a cheetah person with a tooth he broke off a skull. Yeah. Which was which was actually, he's a dick, but that's pretty badass. Mm. In the circumstances yeah. where he Yeah. He just snaps a huge tooth out of a huge fucking skull and stabby stabby. But yeah. then he tries to use the tooth. <laughs> then he tries to use the tooth against Derek because he buys into Sarge's crap mm. um, about not being able to carry Shirkers or Deadwood. But then we realise it's because he's turning into one of these creatures of hunting and killings, something that he wants to do. And yes. after all that, you've got um, you've got Catmaster watching over it all. Yeah, yeah. Ace goes for a little run as well, doesn't she? Yeah, with her, with her new mates. Legs. Yeah, or with a funny little grin on her face and all looking really happy and cheery, just having a bit of a jog of her cat friend. For that was so strange. Who, who, does, who doesn't love a slow motion frolic? Yeah, <laughs> with, a, with a huge giant cat person. <laughs> and a grin on your face like you've just... I, I don't even know what drug would do that to you. But <laughs> it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't... I just don't get it. I don't get why that was necessary. It was just so weird. It was just so odd. Filled some time though. Well, I suppose. I suppose. They're just like, they're just like we, need, we need the episode to be about twenty seconds longer just to fill the time slot. What can you do? Uh, everybody likes slow motion running. Yeah, get Ace to run around with that cat. Well, <laughs> 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 Ace, we'll film it. It'd be great. <laughs> uh, we find out that the master is very concerned about turning at this stage, don't we? We're, we're back on Earth now, the Master and Midge, and they're in Midge's flat, uh, <laughs> which, which which is nice. It, it, I thought it was Midge's Nan's flat. <laughs> yeah, Midge is having a bit of a lie down. The Master's sort of wandering around the front room, having a bit of a chat, talking into the mirror and so on. And uh, Midge looks rough at this point, doesn't he? He's, he's, he's not doing well there, Midge. He's, yeah, he's quite obviously... Well, dying by the looks of it, his eyes look like fried eggs. Um, yeah. but and so do the masters. But you, you see, the master sort of just uses force of will and he, the power of his mind to, to suppress the changes. And that's when he gives another one of those great speeches that probably only Anthony Ainley can make sound menacing. We say he's saying to Midge, who is nightmare fuel at this point, oh, yeah. this side oh, staring. Yeah. It's like, you're all animal now, so weak, <laughs> your will devoured, a stronger mind will hold on to itself for longer, a will as strong as mine, how much longer? If I have to suffer this contamination, this humiliation, if I am to become an animal, then like an animal, I will destroy you, Doctor. I will hunt mm. you, trap you, and destroy you. It's so good, man. He's fantastic, isn't he? Yeah. We're going to have to watch more with him, innit? We really are. Well, that's up to you, but- well, yeah, pretend, yeah, of course, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> the gang use Ace to get back, so the Doctor and, and so on are now back on Earth, and they they go looking for Midge. They go looking, he's, he's taking his, he's going back home, as they say, so he's going back to his flat. So they head to the flat, uh, Ace and the Doctor, sorry. By this point, the Master and Midge are gone, and this bit I didn't enjoy it's, there's obviously it's obviously, obviously the cat on the floor is very very fake don't get me wrong it, it's not yeah. a convincing cat body or whatever <laughs> yeah it's not a convincing cat, it, but, even the even the blood was pink yeah yeah but obviously the cat's been killed by midge and there's a little girl there who's crying because her cat's been killed and i thought that's that's horrible it was a bit unnecessary wasn't it yeah i didn't need to see that 
<laughs> but at the same time, it's probably the the more one of the more effective things actually doing this one. So it's just like you know, we've all been kids and, and worried about pets, you know, worried about pets dying and things like yeah. that, or you know, even seen it. But yeah, that's it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, poor little girl, that was horrible. Poor little squeak. Yeah. Yeah, very sad. I tell you what, the midgen squeaks parents have got some fucking answering to do for the way they name Oh, have they ever? <laughs> That's a proper social services phone call. That is, mate. Jesus, you know that is. They are shocking. But given given that the kids now alone in a flat with a dead cat, where are the parents? Because hmm. midgen's yeah. been gone. Midgen's been gone for weeks. Yeah, so they've just buggered off and left. Or perhaps they've gone as well. Perhaps they've been caught by the cat people. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Still, yes, could be. Ace does does say that. Oh, I know where I know her nan lives on the next level up, so we'll pop her up to see her nan. So at least that was good. We we didn't get the doctor and Ace just buggering off, chasing the master and leaving the little girl with the dead cat. We kind of did though. <laughs> no, no, we didn't see where they went. I like to think that she they Ace took her out to her nan's. <laughs> Ace got Ace got the vision of where the master was. Knew that he was going to be at the youth club, and they got straight there. You know, I know for a fact they turned around and said to the little kid, you know the way to your nans? <laughs> oh, and man, then, no, and, I don't know. Like and that. Then, that, then that poor little bugger, she said yes. She didn't have a clue. She was wandering around for hours. And then she got abducted by the master and the, <laughs> and well, the scary go, cat people. Let's not go that far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but basically, Midge and the master have gone to the youth centre, haven't they? The youth club where <laughs> Sergeant Patterson is teaching his self-defence classes earlier on in the story. Midge has, has gone and got himself a motorbike. And the doctor, uh, sorry, the master looks like he, he's, he's took him shopping. The master's took him clothes shopping. They had a little jaunt around Debenhams or Primark and picked him up some new gear, haven't they? Yeah, it was... Um, he walked in looking like a Poundland Neo from The Matrix. Uh, <laughs> which is the best way I could think about it. Oh, just, that's spot on. If you saw, if if you actually saw anyone walking around like that, you'd look at him and just go, "Swat." Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But also, before this, we, we've we've skipped ahead a little bit. I think um, in that we missed out the bit where when they got back, the doctor and, and the other humans, including Patterson, um, the first thing Patterson did was blame the whole thing on a blackout. Oh, uh, yeah. And basically saying, no, I've had a blackout. Uh, why did you leave me on the street? You should have been looking after me. Um, blah, 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 as if it was all some dream. And at this point, I've put in my notes, he really is an unlikable tosser. Mm-hmm. Rather than learn anything, he's doubling down on being a shit. Yeah. And then Ace just looks at him and really sadly saying, says, thanks, Ace, thanks, Doctor. Thanks for saving my life and getting me back home. And he's there, he's there, don't know what you mean. What are you talking about? And then Derek, who who didn't get killed by Mitch, is, says the exactly the same thing word for word because he's just kind of been processing the whole thing and being, yeah. close to, <laughs> being, being close to death and he's probably coming out of a little bit of shock. And Patterson just, just sods off. Mm. Not even a thank you. He's an, no. abs- he's an absolute cock. He says he's late for self-defence, doesn't he? Yeah. So, and, and he's a, he's a state by this stage as well, isn't he? His clothes are all ripped and raggedy, and and so on. And he arrives at the youth club to find Midge and the master there, talking to his self defense class, and they've yeah. kind of hypnotised them. The master does this in a lot of a lot of stories. He's mm. they effectively kind of hypnotised them, 
Yeah. And Mitch eventually just kills Sergeant Patterson, doesn't he? Yay! And he's gone. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray <laughs> for the bad guys. Hooray for the evil cat people. <laughs> it, it, it couldn't have happened to a nicer character. What a bellend. <laughs> <laughs> With their newfound, I suppose, army, I guess. Oh, this, sorry. This group of lads. Sorry, just going back to that. When they find this Patterson dead... Doctor looks at him and says, so much for the SAS survival costs. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, and that was really kind of one last, you know, fuck you, effectively. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been a dick this whole time, and now you're dead. Look it, where comes to, it comes to summer where you're that much of a twat, even the Doctor thinks you're not worth saving. And he yeah. will literally try to save his biggest enemies at the at their worst moments. And he's just, just gone... Oh, well, no great loss. <laughs> yeah, oh, it is what it is. <laughs> they've, they've headed... I don't really know where they've gone then. They've gone... Where have they headed off to? The, the, like a field or a hill they've, or something? They've gone back to the place, one of the places where um, where Ace thought that her friends would be, which is basically just on a hill um, oh, yes. outside the town uh, where there's where they normally just, you know, have a drink, set a fire, mm. sit around and talk crap. Yeah. Yeah, and we have the visual of the master. So they're on the top of like a verge, aren't they? Like the top of like a grassy hill, I guess. Yeah. And this group of hypnotized self-defense guys in their in their tank tops and their tracksuit bottoms, who all barely more than teenagers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they all walk up from behind at the same time to sort of give this. I suppose quite memorable visual, but when you actually break it down, quite ridiculous as well because <laughs> of what they're wearing and so on. <laughs> yeah. Tank tops and joggers. Yeah, this exactly. Is, this is, this, the master's just stood there going, look, I know I had cheetah people, but we're here now and this is the best I could do at short notice. <laughs> I says, I'm still going to try and kill you, but I don't really expect it to succeed because all I've got is about eight dogs and yeah. this cat-looking twat on a, on a dirt bike. Yeah. Yeah, so he's on a dirt bike, but there's another dirt bike at this stage as well, down the bottom of the hill, which yeah, I'm assuming the master used. Well, I think he's left it there to, to say to the doctor, look, I'm giving you a fair go. We're, we're going to do dirt bike jousting. Yeah. Except I've got Ace, no poles, so just ride no. at each other and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't go well. Ace, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically an episode of Jackass. Yeah, effectively. Uh <laughs> Ace jumps on the bike first, and the doctor proper rags her about, doesn't he? Like, chucks her off the bike and onto the deck to say no, because if you fight, you'll turn quicker, apparently. Well, because why not? You know, fighting makes the planet die. So yeah. why wouldn't fighting turn you quicker? But I suppose that's kind of, you've maybe already seen that a little bit with Midge. Because he yeah. was always the, he was the first one in for the fight, and he'd been there longer than Ace, and he, then he starts to turn. But then Ace yeah, hadn't really true. done any fighting up to this point. So it's, again, it's the, the plot needed the Doctor on the bike. Yes, because the Doctor then goes into a head-on collision with Midge on his bike, and there is one of the biggest explosions I've seen outside of American television in a long time. It is huge, a massive, huge explosion. Midge's phone looks very, very poorly. But then when we catch up with the Doctor shortly afterwards, he's not got a mark on him. The Midge is singed. I suppose they're supposed to look like burns. It, 
it looked like he'd been maybe working on a car for a day. Um, yeah. And then the master just looked at him and says, you know what to do. And Miz just like, oh, yeah, die. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that. You know, he's, he's gone. So that was a that was an odd one as well. But, but, um, the doctor landed on a surface, so... Sorry? The doctor landed on a surface, obviously. That that was everything, you know. That, yeah. That stopped him from dying. Yeah, he kind of he kind of ended up in a a little wasteland tip, didn't he, with his arse in the air? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the master, the master doesn't even bother to check if he's alive. No, just like okay, I can see his arse. He must be dead. Job done. Yeah, thank you. We, 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 we all know when time we all know when time lords die, they, they end up going ass first to heaven. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well-known fact that is. <laughs> that was in that book that I used to hire from the library. That was that was, that was chapter two. Time Lord's death. Ring peace right to the sky. Dead That's time it. <laughs> oh, it's just so silly. The 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 gang of lads by this stage are going to be attacking Ace. Kara appears all of a sudden on the back of a horse and and saves Ace. The master then kills Kara, who turns back to being a human. But not before Kara has chance to lay down one of the most iconic lines in sci-fi that will then be recycled by Ben Affleck's Batman in later years when she okay. looks at the ma- she looks at the master and just asks him, "Do you bleed?" Ah, yes. Because <laughs> the master's trying his old hypnosis trick, isn't isn't he on her? Yeah. He's trying, but then Kara Kara's pretty cool. She's like, she's just asking, "Do you bleed? If you, yeah. I can always do something to you if you bleed." Yeah, that is quite, that's quite badass, isn't it? <laughs> she ends up dead though, so it didn't work for her that well. Yeah, that's well, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna die, you may as well uh, may as well die saying something cool. Yeah, we then end up with the Doctor and the Master back on the driveway, don't we? <laughs> Yeah. Imagine that you look outside, see two randomers having a very intense stare down on your driveway. Yeah. I'm not, um, I'm not, I'd wait for them to finish and then lean out the window and tell them to piss off. Yeah. And of course, one of them is, is a weird little dude with an umbrella acting a bit off. And the other one is obviously, to glance at, quite an evil, sinister individual, but looks a little bit like a cat. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they're just on your, your, your driveway, just having a bit of a barney. It's a bit of an odd one. It is, it is genuinely one where I've been two minds looking outside and just like, I, I might just leave them to it. Mm. As yeah. long as they just move on quietly and I don't have to like physically eject them from off my front porch, I'll just, just leave them. Yeah. And, and, and they do depart, don't they? Because they end up having a bit of a fight, which ends up with them back on the cheetah people's planet for a moment, fighting yeah. there as well. Yeah, and we see uh, the, it's finally starting to get to the doctor as well, because they're uh, you know they're rolling around, they're trying to choke each other. It's not exactly a, uh, a grappling masterclass, but uh, they're trying their best. And, and the doctor mm. actually goes to goes to smash the master's face in. He's, he's, his eyes change, everything. He's like, he's like, "What am I doing? I've got to stop. We've got to go. We can't." And this master, and you can't go. Not this time. Like, yes, we can. And just giving it the master saying he won't live as an animal and. If we fight, we'll destroy the planet. It all goes backwards and forwards, and um, the doctors there screaming very dramatically. If we fight like animals, we'll die like animals. Yeah. But it, very conveniently is the point where the doctors just change enough that he can use the uh, uh, the uh, the kitty teleportation powers. 
Yes, because all of a sudden he ends up in the middle of a road. No, not back on the driveway. Still screaming. Yeah, still screaming about if you, you know, fighting like an animal, dying like an animal. The master is nowhere to be seen. And that's just kind of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's another one where the <laughs> the, the last two episodes you've picked have ended with uh, basically just things being shut away. And mm. this one is, I suppose, kind of a, a similar thing where the door's been shut to that planet, but it's not a physical door. But there was, there'd also be nothing to stop the master teleporting to somewhere else, because if the doctor can do it, surely the master can do it. Mm, yeah. So the master's obviously decided to live to fight another day, or he's turned into a cat and died on that planet. Well, very true. Very true. But somehow I, mean, I don't is, think it's the latter. <laughs> no, no. I mean, this is obviously the last time we see any of these people involved with the TV show. We don't mm. see... Sylvester McCoy, we don't we don't see Ace, we don't we don't see this this incarnation of the Master and so on, because it is literally this is the last episode of the classic run. So quite quite sad for me, looking back. Really, we end up basically then with the Doctor and Ace just walking off, and and the Doctor mm-hmm. has a speech played over the top, uh, and the reason that the way it was done that way was because they twigged that the the end of this season was probably going to be the end of Doctor Who for a while, if not permanently. So Sylvester McCoy actually recorded this speech separately after the first episode of this serial had gone out. Really? All right. And they put it over the top of the end of episode three to try and give it a little bit of closure, I guess, to try and have that sort of, okay, we're now just going to carry on our adventures kind of thing with yeah. the force that it might not come back if that makes sense yeah it, it does have a sense of finality to it whether it's the end of yeah. the season or the end of the run entirely because uh, i've done what i normally do i've transcribed it so i hope you don't mind but the doctor no please carry on carry on the, the doctor's giving a very doctor speech saying there are worlds out there where the sky is burning where the seas are asleep and the rivers dream people made of smoke and cities made of song somewhere there's danger somewhere there's injustice somewhere else the tea is getting cold come on ace we've got work to do and it's it's that come on ace we've got work to do is you know the doctor and ace are going on to do whatever but it just it's kind of bittersweet in that you know something more's coming but you're not going to see it but obviously we know that yeah. now um and th- i think this end bit went a long way to me having a bit more goodwill towards this serial because they knew it was the end and they weren't going to get to fulfil the story arc of this Doctor or and this companion. And I think it was quite sad that Ace never really got a resolution. Mm. That Ace doesn't get... You don't find out whether something... Whether tragedy struck her or whether she ended up settling down somewhere or whether she came home or, or whether she just lived out the rest of her life travelling. Yeah, I think in the audio books or, or the audio shows that they've recorded, mm. Ace does get some closure in those. But I've not explored any of those in any way, shape or form. Maybe that's something we can look into in, in a future series, potentially. I don't know. To yeah. me, I always look at... The, I know people refer to it as canon, don't they? And mm. it's they refer to a lot of the audio versions as canon. But because I've not seen them, I can't... I can't sort of let that in sort of my Doctor Who world, I suppose, for want of a better term. 
Yeah, same here. I've never listened to them. One thing, mm. one thing I know that's been written that I do like is that Sophie Aldred herself, who played Ace, uh, wrote a book that released in 2020, which involved which involved the 13th Doctor and um, Ryan Yaz and Graham meeting Ace. Okay. And that, but that's actually written by Ace, so I'm, I'm interested to track that down and uh, Brilliant. and give that a read because I think that'd be a really nice sort of um, really nice sort of time. And nobody will believe that we've done Jodie Whittaker and this story back to back, and we're talking about this, and that's the time between the two, <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that we have no prior knowledge. Oh man! It, it, overall, then, I suppose as we're coming to an end now, in comparison to what we've already seen and and doctor who that uh, you know in general where do you how, how do you kind of feel about this after the after taking in all three episodes having a discussion about it what sort of thing are you thinking overall with the story aspects not being quite there and some of the scripting being off and and whatnot it, it's it's probably one of the weaker ones that mm. we've covered so far um doesn't mean it's bad there are bad elements to it, but it's, I suppose it, it, the worst thing it does is be middle, like middle of the road and a little bit crap. But even the, in the bits where it's a little bit crap, they were, made, tried, they were making the best of what they got, you know, of what they had to use. So it's, it's all right. I'll, I'll probably will watch it again, but mm-hmm. I am intrigued to see more of, Ace and, and Sylvester McCoy is the doctor. So in that regard, I suppose it did its job. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. I mean, from my standpoint, I think this is the weakest we've looked at so far. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's, I think everything else we've, everything else we've seen is better than this. It, again, it's just my opinion. Everyone has different viewpoints. This may be yeah. somebody's favorite story of all time and, and, and so be it. Good luck to you. But, to me, this is the weakest we've looked at so far. And that's a real shame because I've got such fond memories of Sylvester McCoy and, and especially Ace. Mm. But every time I go back and watch it, it chips away a little bit of those fond memories of mine. It's almost the same as, I think I've told the story on different podcasts, when I wanted to sit down with my son and watch The A-Team because in my mind, The A-Team was a fantastic TV show. When I sat down with my boy and put it on as a grown-up, I realised, okay, this has not aged well. This is not anywhere near as good as I remember it. I'm again, I'm kind of getting similar vibes from Sylvester McCoy as the Doctor to that, I suppose. And that's a great shame. It's one of those things that you have to sort of almost ration out. Mm. Don't don't revisit it too often. Only revisit certain episodes, and try and keep as much of that nostalgia as possible. Really. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I'm really worried now to see what the uh, to see what the movie does to you and to your Sylvester McCoy nostalgia when we finally watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm I'm really excited about this. And um, Dan and I spoke about the movie, kind of uh, I suppose off air, off pre-recording or whatever. What we think we're going to do. The original plan for this this series was to go back and forth between classic Who, new Who. We've obviously Dan choosing the new Who episodes, me choosing the classic Who episodes. And about halfway through the run, we were going to stop and just look at the movie together. Because I've never seen it, and Dan loves it, but it gets a lot of hate online. Now, 
the new plan is to carry on doing what we're doing, going back and forth. But we're actually going to look at, I think it's the, did you say it's the 50th anniversary? Yeah, to get in, to make it a um, sort of nice even 14 episodes, uh, we're going to be looking at the 50th anniversary, um, not on my next, uh, not on my next pick, I think it'll be the one after, so we're just over halfway. Yeah. And then uh, that'll be obviously for the War Doctor, uh, for John Hearn. Mm-hmm. And then we've sort of had to think about it, and just to keep people waiting and uh, <laughs> and to build the suspense, uh, we're going to look at the movie on the very last episode. Yes, the very last episode of this this first season. I'm going to watch the Doctor Who movie for what we figured out last week is definitely 100% going to be the first time I've ever seen this. So I'm really, really intrigued. It's going to be quite exciting. See, I love that. I love this to think that there are people out there listening to this now who will be groaning and almost screaming at the phones or, or whatever they're listening on, just going, "Don't do it." Don't, don't do it. it. And, then, and then there's other people <laughs> out there like like me who'll be thinking, oh, it's just going to be such a treat. <laughs> oh, I, I hope the, the latter is correct. I don't want to sit through like an hour and a half, two hour movie and just come back on and be like, oh man, that sucked. It's definitely you know, not I, two hours. Is it not? Okay, no. fair enough. <laughs> uh, so then, Dan, so then, where or who or when, I guess, uh, are we going to be going next week? Which doctor, which story, what are we looking at? Yeah, I've... I picked this one. Um, I know I said before that I didn't want to go straight from Eccleston to Tennant or anything like that, but in this one I'm mm-hmm. contradicting myself. And I'm going, my last pick was Whitaker, and we're going back to Capaldi. Okay. So I picked this one because, well, it was a link from the uh, a link from the Whitaker episode where we had that conversation about Bradley Walsh uh, and about TV presenters and, and people from other aspects of entertainment coming in. Um, and I mentioned that Frank Skinner had been in an episode. Yes. So I want to look at the Peter Capaldi episode, Mummy on the Orient Express. Mummy on the Orient Express. Okay. See, the title rings a bell with me, and Frank Skinner being involved in an episode rings a bell. So I know I've seen it, mm. but I think it's going to be in a similar sort of vein as to when we watched the the, pre- the previous episode where I know I'd seen it, but I can't really remember that much of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I understand completely. And the thing is, this isn't my, this is one of my favourite Capaldi episodes. It's not necessarily my favourite. It's just my favourite is technically a three-parter. And that's three hours of TV to watch, which then becomes, for me, about six hours of note-taking. <laughs> <laughs> So I can't really do the uh, I can't really do the multiple part ones, but uh, yeah, I very much enjoyed Mummy on the Orient Express. It's it's a fun episode, and uh, I'll be intrigued to see what you think of it, particularly uh, what you think of uh, Frank Skinner. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Okay, I look forward to it. So that's it next week then. If anyone wants to watch along with us, if anyone's sort of following along the episodes we're jumping back and forth viewing Mummy on the Orient Express with Peter Capaldi as the Doctor. Yeah, looking forward to it, my friend. Before we depart, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and all your content and other shows and all that good stuff? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, uh, usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can find my uh, podcast that I do with uh, with Rob, Unbooking the Territory, uh, on all good po- podcast platforms and on Twitter at UTT Podcast. Uh, we're covering the first and last of professional wrestling, so at the minute it's more just first and last episodes of things, but we'll be branching out into uh, various bits and pieces in the near future. Uh, on that same podcast feed, you can also find Unbooking the Tankatory, which is our side project and bonus series on the, li- on the life and career in wrestling <laughs> of one Tank Abbott. <laughs> it always gets a chuckle from Sign. I don't know why. It does. I, just, I think it's brilliant. It's just a- <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, to be fair, it was either him or Crowbar, but Crowbar had more matches. Um, right. Uh, you can also find me on the monthly pay-per-view reviews on that 90s wrestling podcast uh, playlist on Primetime Conversations. Uh, they're available on Primetime Conversations on the podcast apps uh, or on YouTube and on Twitter at Primetime Convos. There we go. All brilliant stuff. You can find me on Twitter at SJP Words, where you'll also find links via that Twitter handle to my other shows, the SJP podcast, Chain Wrestling, which I do live every Monday night at nine o'clock with our good friend Magsy, or the Waiting Room podcast, which is about Quantum Leap. Uh, should, by the time you're hearing this, should be well into season two. So check that one out uh, with our good friend, Mr. Benny Mac. But yeah, the easiest way is to, uh, to follow me on Twitter at SJP words, and you can find all the links to the shows there. But most importantly, you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at the doctor who pod. And it's exactly as it sounds the D R W H O P O D at the doctor who pod. Dan, I'm really looking forward to Peter Capaldi. I think the guy was underrated as a doctor. Really looking forward to seeing him. Oh, we've got Clara in this episode. Yep, Clara is in this episode. Fantastic. Big fan of Jenna Coleman. Oh, you know, that's made me even happier. No worries, my friend. I will speak to you again next week. I will see you in Squash Cart 7 of the TARDIS in 15 minutes, good sir. (laughs) And everyone else, thank you for listening.